right, everyone. Welcome to Dom's Club, where I, your host, Dominique Mobley, interview groundbreaking filmmakers, television writers, authors, actors, comedians, and more. I'd like to welcome into the studio the amazing Monica Breen, showrunner for the upcoming Buffy the Vampire Slayer reboot, and writer and producer on hit shows such as Alias, Lost, and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Monica, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. My first question is, what inspired you to become a writer? I have to be honest, I feel like I was born that way. I feel like as a kid, I was always in my head, and I was always imagining weird stories as I watched television, which I I learned how to speak English watching television, so it was kind of Mm -hmm. like a babysitter slash best friend. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I always wanted to tell stories, and then when I graduated from college, I I didn't even know how to approach that. And so I went back to grad school to study in media. But essentially, I moved to Los Angeles, and a friend of mine said, hey, you want to write some scripts? And I was putting off writing my dissertation, and I was like, cool, I'll, let's do that. And it became a procrastination for my dissertation that became the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I loved it so much. I felt like I'd always been doing it in my head, and now I'm doing it on paper. And then... We lucked out really quickly because after a year, we found a manager and we got a job, and um, that's how it began. So I feel like the writing part of it was something I always loved and did. The career part was a leap of faith that I took as Mm -hmm. my third career. Um, (laughs) It took a little little time. I had a baby, and so I was up all night anyway, so I'd be Mm -hmm. writing. And um, yeah. Did you have any, like, favorite TV shows or movies when you were growing up? Um, okay, I loved Looney Tunes cartoons so much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, those were when I was little. And I loved Lucy and Bonanza of all things, Little House on the Prairie. Like, I, I really was a voracious TV hero. Leader as well. Um, so we really only had three channels, so there wasn't that much either. So, yeah. Um, I mean, those were my sort of big moments. And I remember my parents making me watch Ruth when I was very mm. young. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, there was a scene where they took a baby away from a mom. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> I remember I was, like, third grade, second grade. But I just remember being like, holy shit. Yes. And I remember thinking, I'm so glad someone made a TV show about this, so I know. And so I like both understood like TV is the site of great like humor and funny mm-hmm. and amusing, but also like I remember just as a kid being really gripped by learning on television mm-hmm. too. Um, so yeah. I feel like I always was drawn to uh, TV and movies uh, mm. for, for just all of it. I definitely can understand how um, it would be very jarring to, like, be used to, like, as a kid, like, be used to seeing comedic things, and then now you see the exact opposite when you're watching Roots or a show like that. 
Right. It felt so like a window into something really painful, but also it allowed me as a kid to sort of witness history on an emotional level. And I do feel like sometimes information doesn't hit in the same way. Mm. And when you get to know characters and see them suffering as opposed to learning something in school as facts, it kind of gets in your brain. It's like sort of, it, I don't know, it's, I feel like it's a more powerful experience of learning something. Yeah, I agree. So a more emotional experience of learning something. Mm-hmm. So you've had a fantastic career this far, writing and producing a variety of television shows from Alias to Lost and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. What drew you to tackle these projects with such different genres, characters, and tones? Um, I think, you know, I think for me, it's funny because it's like I lucked out in terms of projects. And it's when I first started, I wanted to write cops and lawyers. So we got started on Charmed and then Alias. And then I realized, like, I love being in fantasy worlds. But my favorite mm-hmm. thing about fantasy worlds are also fantasy worlds with a, a deeply truthful and human story in it. So mm-hmm. for me, thing like Alias is very much about a girl dealing with her father's lives. And then you put in great costumes and <laughs> and but like at the core what to me was heartbreaking was Sydney and her dad and you know Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was a orphan finding a family and I, for me it's like the genres are sort of the outfit on the cake mm-hmm. but the heart has to be of the main character and their journey mm-hmm. and I always feel like for me like that's why I I love the original Buffy because I just, or I mean the TV show in general. And I realized because to me it was about growing up. And it was like growing up and the world being a lot cooler and meaner than you Mm -hmm. thought it was going to be. And for me that was just so powerful. Like as a metaphor for for adolescence, it was just weight on you that doesn't let you enjoy the fun of being young and the pain of being young is so profound and I feel like that's when the fun of action and genre and the truth of humanity come together that's my favorite thing yeah so how did you get involved in the Buffy reboot it was a weird story um because I was working with Gail Berman on another project which didn't go and I was really excited to work with her because she was one of the producers of the original TV show. And I would ask her questions and then she'd ask me questions. And we just talked about it a lot as we were developing this other project. And what I didn't realize at that time was that she was trying to get a writer for this reboot. And then I met with Josh and that's how it happened. And I had this, you know, pitch in my brain about a young girl um, that I love. And so it's interesting because it's like, I didn't know I was getting involved, but I got involved. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a happy accident. That's so awesome. I think like that's so cool. And I, you said you really loved the show when you were watching it. So that's even cooler that you were able to work on a show, work on a newer version of a show for like a different audience of the show that you love. 
And, uh, and it does feel like the metaphors are so legit. And it's like even more so, like I, I watch young people fight now for basic human rights. I mean, it's just to me, the metaphor of being a young woman forced into a fight that you didn't anticipate and weren't expecting that you're going to kick ass is um, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and vampires are fun. So. <laughs> Producing is tangibly executing what you write. And I think it's a very different skill set because when you write a story, it's all in your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're imagining this world and it's like coming to life and you have that. And if that's what you want, you should stop and be a novelist. Because mm-hmm. then you hand that to a bunch of people. And the actors bring something to it, set design or direct. Like everyone brings something to it. And so what was in your brain is not necessarily going to be executed. Producing is the act of taking that script and making it a producible episode. But sometimes it's like that thing you love in your brain can't happen. Mm. The actor doesn't like it. It's not like, and so you have to be able to sort of have this thing that you love, a script, and then the producing part of it is its own thing. Yes, you have to be true to your original script, but you also have to be open to the contributions of other people. Mm-hmm. And the sort of legitimate parameters you have of the ability to shoot something well in the time you have. Um, can you afford it? Or were you too ambitious in your brain? Because a lot of times you have something in your brain and then they'll be like, oh, this is going to cost $2 million. I'm like, okay, <laughs> not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, sometimes it's that part of it is executing it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a different kind of fun. Because writing can be super lonely. Mm-hmm. You get to practice different skills and do different things and you get out of your own head when you produce. But sometimes writing, you're just in this other head and you're not in the real world. Would you, <laughs> would you say that you have a favorite between like producing and writing? Writing to me is kind of a fantasy place that I get to live in. And it's very pleasant to me. Like mm-hmm. sometimes being in other people's stories is more interesting than being in my own. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, uh, being a producer, I'm in the world and doing things. I love it, but I don't think I could live without writing, but I do think mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. Okay, that's really interesting. So what are, what's your writing process like? Do you write, like, with an audience in mind? I know you were saying there's times when you're producing and writing and you realize you can't include something. Like, how does that fall into mm-hmm. the writing process? I mean, I feel like when I write, I try to write the best version of the story I need to write. Mm-hmm. Now, that's like, you, your audience can't be like, will they like it, won't they like it? Because I feel like that, if anyone understood that, no one would lose money. We don't mm-hmm. know what people are going to like. Mm-hmm. We don't know what something's going to hit at any given moment. Sometimes really bad things make money. Mm-hmm. And really good things don't. So, like, I, I feel like any semblance of control is kind of fiction. But I do think writing is kind of like creating a world in your brain. So, for mm. me, I I just live in it. Like, I really, I like, I will take three-hour baths while I'll listen to podcasts about the subject matter. I will go outside and walk. I will just sort of live in it for a really long time and then take 
get on the computer. And mm-hmm. I mean, my honestly, my writing process is super messy. Um, I will stay up all night, and then some days I am really diligent and six to or like nine to five. Um, sometimes I have writer's block, and I walk for miles until a line or something hits me that then I can spring from or jump off from. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I knew what my process was other than being super messy and needing. It's funny, I uh, used to smoke cigarettes, and mm-hmm. I, if you asked me that question before, I'd be like, well, when I block, I go have a cigarette, but I don't do that anymore. So now mm-hmm. I do a bunch of other stuff to occupy me, and sometimes I find that, like, you know, some stories, I know what they are, and they come very naturally. Other stories, I find myself writing scenes over and over and over again until I find the right one. Um I think every story is so different that I don't really have a process, but that's also how my brain is. Like I'm very messy in general and I never put my car keys in the same place except <laughs> my husband deeply and my purse is <laughs> crazy. So I feel like my writing process is just as organized and messy as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then as then as I start to wrangle the story, then I can get rid of it. And that's when I'm just editing for every single line. And that's a little bit more disciplined where I sit and read it aloud and take my red pen and make it pretty. Um, that's but, really awesome. But, that's a, that sounds like an awesome process, though, the fact that I feel like you give yourself freedom by having all those different ways to approach, like writer's block or different lines or things like that. That sounds really cool. I mean, I feel like you, I feel like to make up random stories all the time. And the thing with television is you don't get to sort of live in a project for years. You're just like, boom, boom, good, good, good. And so sometimes it's just about like opening your brain up to be like, all right, I need a new one. I need a new one. And I think sometimes the more disciplined I get, the less creative my stories are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know. and sometimes I'll be walking and I'll see some crazy scenario on the street and it just, boom, there's a scene in my head. Mm-hmm. And it just triggers a thought. And I wish I could, I've always wished I could, like, put, put that in pill form. Like, that thing that you do, like, you get these discoveries that just happen, and you're like, I don't yeah. know how that came from my dream, but it did. Um, and I love that, but it's kind of like, it needs a little bit of a unexplained miracle of writing, is when a story comes to your head, and you don't know how it got there, but it's just there, and it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you determine when... I guess the right time is to stop, like to be done with the draft basically, or like this is the final. Because I know you said you go back with the red pen and you're editing it. At what point are yeah. you like, okay, this is done? Um, I just give myself a day. I honestly, I'm a real believer in deadlines because with television too, you can't rework it endlessly. Mm-hmm. There's a certain point at which it's good enough to show everyone. And I think for me, it's like, is that first act awesome? Because really anything after that, like people's opinion is created in the first 20 pages. And then, but there's also a long process of getting notes Mm -hmm. and then adjusting and then notes and then adjusting. So I feel like if I'm too precious with that first draft, taking notes is super hard for me. Like Mm -hmm. if I just make it the perfect, so sometimes it's just a matter of, you're gonna be done in two weeks, Monica. And if it's not completely finished, it'll be close enough to get to hand to someone to read. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just for me as discipline to keep stuff moving forward because I don't think it'll ever be perfect. I kind of don't believe in perfection and I feel like if you chase that, you'll never hand anything in because mm-hmm. there will always be one line to be wittier or one scene that could be more emotional. <laughs> I, I yeah. Like that's too much for me. It's too hard of pressure to put on myself. So I'll be like, yeah, just pull the Band-Aid off and give myself a <laughs> and then Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. For the television shows, you usually are in a writer's room. Have you found that you enjoy working with, like, writing, with, like, a lot of people, like, with writing partners or writing alone more? Like, are there pros and cons to each? Um, but I was writing with a partner for a long time, and we broke up for financial reasons, and I miss her. Every, like, I feel like writing with someone, your writing really improves. I love writing by myself when it's especially when I can let my mind go crazy and just write something that's really just me um, in complete honesty. None of that has ever been thought or made. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten me a lot of work. So mm-hmm. um, I feel like those are things I, really, I love writing by myself and having the creative freedom to do whatever I want. But most of the job is writing for someone else, with someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you need to tell it's just too much story to break on your own. If you're writing a pilot, like a pilot script, do you uh, usually write that with someone else or do you write it by yourself? No, I write that alone, but alone, quote unquote, with the producers, the network, and the studio giving me notes throughout the entire process mm-hmm. on the story, on the outline, and on the script. So even though it's writing alone, they're telling you the parameters to write it in and they're noting you. So that's what I mean about television is just always going to be collaborative. You're never 100% alone. Mm-hmm. Even like when they'll pick up a show or when they buy your pilot, they're like, but can you do this? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so, interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, uh, when um, I had a show on the air a few years ago called Midnight Texas. And mm-hmm. I pitched a show that was a very... It was a very character-based, quirky town filled with supernatural. And it was a little slow-paced, and we begin realizing, oh, there's one person with superpowers. Or there's one person with supernatural, and then by the end of the series, or by the end of the first season, you realize everyone has powers. It's mm-hmm. like a complete. And they were like, okay, that's great. We're going to buy it, but can you show us all the powers at the beginning? And I was like, not at all what I pitched, but okay. <laughs> and so then I did a small town soap opera. It's powered. And then we're like, okay, we, we will put this on the air if you make it a Demon of the Week story. I'm like, hmm. okay. So like, <laughs> what I mean is like, that process was very much a, a collaborative process. Because mm-hmm. I was always, it was, I called it the Project Runway Challenge. But it's sort mm-hmm. of like, <laughs> This is what you have to do. But, and so the show that was pitched and the show that aired, two very different ideas. Oh, wow. It's so weird because you're like, but didn't you like the story? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think sometimes it's a really odd process where you're the gatekeeper of the story and no one else seems to care about the story but you. Mm-hmm. But for me, there was like an emotional core story that never changed so mm-hmm. I got the emotional love story that I um, like because everything around it's done 
it's so fascinating how much like shows can change from like you said like from basically the pitch to what we actually see on screen I feel like I know I don't always think about that so I'm sure like I don't know that's really interesting I hadn't thought of that before no, and I'll, just, I'll be honest, there are times where I pitch the story and they'll say, no, can you do this instead? And I'll be like, no, we could get another writer. Because mm-hmm. I do feel like my one, my one lesson um, mid-night, which was a wonderful experience for the most part, was you need a clear story. Mm-hmm. And if everyone's pushing you in, a, in every other direction, it's very hard to wrangle and make everyone happy. And I realized, like, I don't know that I can do that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. And I don't, and at the end of the day, I'm not 100% sure you don't see the scene, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sometimes it's a matter of knowing when to take notes and when to step back, especially if you're the creator, because you have to, you have to wrangle the story. And if you mm-hmm. find yourself unable to wrangle, then they need to find someone else. And I feel like that's also true. There are shows that I've worked on that I liked everyone there and I literally couldn't write the show. And it was not because I'm not talented or the showrunner wasn't talented. It's just we had different voices and we have to be honest to that too. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like certain kinds of characters. I don't like certain kinds of action. And so now I'm getting better at saying even if I get a job, if it's not good, maybe I shouldn't take it. Yeah. Um, because trying to write what you can't make sense of in your brain is really hard. In those moments, like, when you realize, okay, like, I'm not going to take these notes, would you ever, like, try to shop your pile, like, somewhere else? Or is it already too late, like, past that point? Um, both. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you've developed something with someone else, it's, it's all a product of their notes, and it feels weird to take it out, especially if those decisions um, you weren't always down with. Other mm-hmm. times I've tried, like I've written spec pilots and spec features a lot. Um, and it's funny because it's always, I feel like sometimes people are afraid to take risks, mm-hmm. and people don't want to buy things they have nothing to do with. Um, but, you know, we'll see. It's very, it's an interesting industry because sometimes someone will have a brilliant original idea, but if you're asking a networking studio to pay millions of dollars to produce it and then millions of dollars to promote it, mm-hmm. they want a title, they want a name, they want, they want recognition. And it's been an interesting process because that's why reads are so popular because everyone knows what it is and everyone mm-hmm. knows how to advertise it. And sadly, they do do well. Um, there's always more people who show up to the reboot than show up to the original. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting, you know, I wish there was more avenues for, for original material. Um, have, have you said? You know, Sorry? No, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, have you found um, like there to be more freedom now with like more streamers and those kind of platforms? Really, because they all want, they, there's so many shows, for every show that's successful, there's so many that no one notices. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they take risks and then they just do well. So it is actually, I mean, and everything, to be perfectly honest, everything's changing right now. Like everything else. 
with the pandemic shutdown, I think things are gonna um, maybe become a little more risk averse for a little bit. That's my prediction. Um, mm-hmm. And I and um, and I don't know. I don't know. I think it's so much easier to get something made if something else pre-existed it. Mm-hmm. So, what other projects do you have coming up, and what drew you to either create or to join those projects? What do I have coming up? I'm working on a space adventure with another writer um, that's really in the early part. And then mm-hmm. I'm working on a pilot for Freeform that I like very much. Ooh. Free um, <laughs> haunting hotel story. Mm-hmm. Um, Still waiting, working on Buffy. Um, and then I'm I'm supervising a half hour pilot with two writers. And so yeah, I just got a lot of stuff in the air, but none of it's landed yet. Those all sound really interesting. But I I think the space no, one, not. I was like, ooh. <laughs> no, it's really fun. It's really fun and it's making the days go a little faster. How do you you split up your time between each of those projects? Are you like, okay, I'll spend like three hours on this? Like, how do you split up your time for that? I feel like it depends on what meeting is next, not Mm -hmm. even why. But it's like one of them, I don't have a meeting for two weeks. So I'll put that off for two weeks. It's just like, and they're all in different stages. One of the space one is brainstorming. So that one. You know, if I find a good podcast, if I read a good book or an article, like I'll just be sort of amusing myself. But I don't, I'm not, like I said, I'm not real um, disciplined. Mm-hmm. It's just like sometimes I'll hit a wall with one project and I'll be like, all right, let me move to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. usually it's the deadline. Yeah, that makes sense. I can, I feel that also is just a good way to prioritize. Like if something due sooner, kind of like homework, like if something due sooner, then do that assignment. Exactly. <laughs> Um, until one of them is up and running, I can work a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, depending on my mm-hmm. mood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so it's so incredible too. How many like projects you're able to work on at once? Like that's so awesome to me. No, and it is, and it was nice. I mean, I'm. It's funny to call it development hell because it kind of is like you write something, you hand it to people, you wait three weeks for that. <laughs> so it's like everything's in a different stage, waiting for someone to react to it, um, you know, but I miss actually getting in there and producing and making it. So I'll mm-hmm. be happy when one of us actually gets to production stages. Yeah, and I that makes sense. Production seems so awesome. I know when I was in LA, they were filming like a TV show, Freeform actually TV show across the street from where we were living. And it was like the awesomest thing just to watch it like be filmed and just to see like them running through everything so I definitely can I just say how much fun that would be oh my god I mean we Midnight Texas was shot in um New Mexico and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done but I literally have never seen so many beautiful sunrises and sunsets Mm -hmm. I was in my first sandstorm you know it's freaking exciting like yeah. Cool. Like and those are the kind of things that, like, I do feel like this career affords you. Like, mm-hmm. if you get to do your job is never the same. 
And there is so much like fun and adventure in that that um, I'm really grateful for it. Mm-hmm. When it's fun, when it's fun, it's super fun. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that sounds so much it. fun. Yeah, your next is so pretty, and they look the hot air balloons. So pretty. Oh God, so pretty. But so much time. Mm-hmm. So much time. It was crazy. Like it's funny because I only knew all the cookie from Breaking Bad, and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> There is a little bit of an underbelly here. I only know that because we kept having to adjust where our where our people stayed because they would keep getting broken into, mm. and hotels would keep getting like people would be mad. It was really fascinating. I kind of had a couple of things for New Mexico because it's just weird and interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so interesting though. I always find it so interesting whenever shows are like they say they're in one place and they film it like completely different place. Like not just like oh they oh film God. everything in LA, but just in general like oh like this is like Dubai and it's like not Dubai at all. You know like that kind of thing. I think that's so interesting. No, I mean I wanted to shoot Midnight Texas in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> but the stages of New Mexico were so much cheaper. But then it was funny because you had to shoot a lot around the New Mexico mess of it. Mm-hmm. New Mexico, Texas is real different. So mm-hmm. it's just it's humorous. And, you know, Vancouver is everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But then again, Alias, he filmed the entire globe on the Burbank backlot. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's also the, it's it's like the magic of, like, TV. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, put up a green screen, you're in Paris. It's <laughs> um, so awesome. So what would you say has been the most difficult challenge you faced in your climb to success as a writer and producer? I think I think that this industry is extraordinarily male and extraordinarily white. And it was interesting because I remember our first showrunning job and we were told you should fire someone on the first day so everyone takes you um, seriously. And so we did that, and we kept trying to act like our male bosses. And then we got fired two years later in the situation I was really messy and on top it. But what I realized is, like, sometimes you have to figure out how to do your job, yourself in this job. Like, mm-hmm. having the confidence to be your own version. Because I do think there are there are ways this business ran that were really like screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear Harvey Weinstein in the hotel meetings. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot tell you the amount of hotel meetings I've been to. Nothing mm-hmm. terrible happened ever. But like the entitlement of a guy being like, let me come to my hotel room and I'll work in my pajamas. Like those kind of things, I always thought I have to sort of get success. And I think for me, the hardest challenge has been really sort of accepting I'm not going to get every job. This mm-hmm. industry does have a lot of really awful people in it. and But you can create your own path and have confidence in that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be the kind of boss who fires someone. You don't need to be the kind of boss who yells and throws telephones at people. And I sounds like a stupid thing, but when you're when 
you're trying to pretend to be the boss. I mean, you are the boss. But, like, you're <laughs> training is ah! How am I going to talk to Sally Field? Um, you try and act like the people you've seen before you. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just like, and someone gave me the book, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, which is kind of all about be the dick which you've worked under. And what I realized was like, and it took a, I think 10 years to be like, that is not who I am. Mm-hmm. It's not the job I want. And you know what? If I only run small shows, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I become, if I write my own little things and don't become a huge success or I'd like sort of, it, I just have to be me and and do this job in a way that I can live with mm-hmm. and be honorable. I think that was a really hard lesson. And it took, because when we were running Brothers and Sisters, there was so much like, it's it politically really complicated and we're trying to navigate mm-hmm. it. I had been working nonstop for seven months and I've been getting weaker and not feeling well and my husband's like what's going on with you and I'm like I'm just not sleeping which I wasn't mm-hmm. and then I made it to the rap party I passed out on the court oh, wow. and in the hospital I needed 10 blood transfusions I was so anemic I almost died and I was like holy shit I was working so hard to be this boss that I was emulating but I didn't even pay attention to my own skin and my own mm-hmm. body. And, and I would work, and that was just a real reality check of like, this doesn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. But taking care of you and taking care of, like, I think like being willing to carve my own path and to mm-hmm. really be a boss and say, I want to be a boss and to not work with people who demand otherwise. Mm-hmm. And to just say, I can't go work with you because that's not how I work. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big lesson, and I've been happier. Yeah, that sounds like an incredible, I mean, incredible lesson to learn, like, to to be yourself. And I feel like that's probably what's led you to such great success, the fact that you weren't, like, you realize, like, I'm not going to compromise. So I think that's so awesome. And it's, and it's the people on top, like, the people above me need me to be awful to prove my worth, I won't succeed there anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually, like, because the other thing, the other lesson I've learned is find people who you're creatively and, and emotionally, personality-wise, compatible with. Mm-hmm. Don't work with people you don't like. Don't work with people who don't like you. Don't work with people who you have entirely different views on how to treat your employees or treat, you know, like, those, mm-hmm. those differences, well, you'll see it on stage. You'll see the messiness and the conflicts and the lack of any sort of singular vision on stage. That's okay. awesome. That's incredible advice. Um, so I guess that kind of goes into my next question. Is there any other advice you would give to aspiring screenwriters and producers? My advice would be if you don't love this and you don't have connections, Find something you love because that's this this business is really hard to enter into and there's so much luck. I mean, I wish I could say there isn't, but sometimes it's just like you happen to get your script in the right hands at the right time and boom, you get a job. Mm-hmm. I Allison and I got our first staff job because two people quit the day before we had our interview. Mm. And so I feel like this is a career of love. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's you know, love it, there's nothing better. So for me, it's like if there, if you don't love it, don't bother. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's you know sure there's better things to do with your time. But if you love it, go for it. And I do think like never. And my other advice is make sure. Make sure that when you take your shot, it's the best written first 10 pages you've ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, you can sort of don't take, like, I have friends who would hand out their scripts to everyone and there's typos on them. I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. not only do like, annoy someone, but if they actually looked at it, you didn't, they now think you're a flake. And so I feel like there's that whole, there's no, Second chance to make a first impression. So, so, so true. So, when you take your shot, just make sure that you are so proud of that thing. Mm-hmm. And then, if they don't like you, it's okay. Um, because, I mean, there's plenty of stuff I've written that people hate that I still love. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, subject, the subjective truth of it is like, not everyone loves the same thing. But mm-hmm. you make sure that you're the best version of yourself to don't waste that first shot. So you mentioned earlier that when you first came out to LA, you were writing, and then you found a manager about a year later. Were you did were you kind of just cold calling people in order to get that manager, or was it something yeah. else that you were doing? Literally, we sat at the border bookstore with an out-of-date agent manager directory. We wrote 250 query letters, got two answers, and then one manager. Wow. Um, it was like I honestly. I'm almost grateful to how naive we were. I told my husband, I'm taking two years to try and make this work. I'm also going to get my license to become a substitute teacher in the rental business. But I realized two years is nothing, and we just really lucked out. So mm-hmm. I feel like had I known more, I wouldn't have taken the leap of faith, mm-hmm. um, which is a weird thing to say. But I also do believe that some people are meant to tell stories. But that's mm-hmm. just how they're bringing They're always in a story. And if that's the kind of brain you have, if you like that, you found an outlet for those stories. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so incredible. Like, my mind is literally blown. Like, you guys are just like, okay, like, let's write 200 letters. And like, that's so incredible. And I love, like, the passion that you obviously had and the initiative, too. I mean, it was. It's so funny. And you know, the other thing to, there were two, well, academia, it's so hard to get a job in academia that my writing, Allison and I were like, it's going to be just as hard to get a staff gig as it is to be a tenure track <laughs> communication professor in a city you want to live in. So mm-hmm. that was kind of like funny when we were like, wow, at the end of the day, our safety fallback wasn't that safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I do feel like, I mean, the funny thing about it is it's a very, it, it is a learnable skill, and, and it is some, I don't know, it's like, I always think about how in every society, in every generation, there are the people who love numbers, mm-hmm. and love buildings, and then there are the people who tell stories, mm-hmm. and my brain is just that, I don't know. And so I'm so grateful to have found a career that lets me exercise that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think I'd be telling stories in my head. Mm-hmm. They just would have no, they wouldn't make me any money. Mm-hmm. 
That's awesome. So what do you use the best thing about being a writer and a producer? Um, I feel like, I feel like making a world and okay, there's a little bit of ego in it too, but there is literally nothing better than writing something crazy and then seeing it executed in the world. Mm-hmm. There was, um, I and I wrote a script where it was, I was fringe and it was a man who, long story short, he ended up trying to reanimate a corpse of a woman he loved. And she was a ballerina. So he created the scene to move her muscles and do mm. ballet with her as a marionette. So she was a dead woman marionette. And I'm like, how is this going to work? How is this <laughs> wow. When we saw it, we started to cry because it was the most beautiful thing we did. And that's like the actors killed it. The set design was like trippy and amazing. And to me, like, it's like, it's like dreams coming true, you know what I mean? Like you literally mm-hmm. dream something and holy shit, people executed it so much even better than you imagine it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is nothing that's incomparable. That really is like, for me, just like those moments where I'm in a pinching place. And they yeah. don't happen all the time, but when they do happen, it will still sustain 10 years of really bad jobs. Mm-hmm. So that one, like, yeah, I need that. So, yeah. That's awesome. So what's one thing yeah. you did not know before becoming a screenwriter and a producer that you wish you had known? Um, if someone's an asshole, there's no getting around it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't make them nicer. You can't get on their good side. And if they love you, but treat other people really shitty, you will be treated shitty eventually. Like, Mm -hmm. you're not not immune. And I wish I had been more willing to just say, I'm not going to try. Like, that person suggested this. Because there's Mm -hmm. too many times I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to write this way. I'm going to this way. And then you're like, oh, my God. I'm in therapy talking about my boss forever when all of these are good. And I can't please them. They're not letting me choose them. So I wish, I wish I had been more willing to trust my intuition on people because it would have saved me a lot of agony trying to make people happy and then feeling insecure about my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's been easier to say, look, they're dead. They want to rewrite everything. If you don't suck. They do. I would have mm-hmm. been, I, it would have saved, it would have saved me a few years of being in a really shitty situation. Mm-hmm. But um, that's the one thing I would have known is there's no pleasing the people who don't want to be pleased. Mm-hmm. That's awesome advice. And I also love when you mentioned, like, trusting your gut. Like, that's I feel like that's something that's so helpful for, yeah, any, for everyone. And I think the thing is, I believe in trusting your gut. Because I do this thing where I'm like, I don't feel right. I'm just trusting. I don't know. And then I start listening. And if I can actually make a list of all the reasons my gut is telling me it, my gut's actually being logical, logical than just my intuition. But it's like a lot of times I'll be like, oh, but he was mean to his assistant, but he's really nice to me, so he must have nice in him. And now I'm like, no, 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 just make the list of all the negatives because your gut is telling you something legit. Mm-hmm. But I always have to make the list to make sure my gut isn't just being insecure or, yeah. you know. But, yeah, I, I definitely – I. I think we want so hard to make every 
I think when you're in college, like this was hard for me. When I was in college, when I worked my butt off, I usually did well. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case in writing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I worked my butt off and people didn't like it. And it was really hard to not take that personally or be in, uh, or take that insecurity on, but just really accept that not everyone has the same taste and some people are just negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and I think also, like, I think it's also important to know you need to find your allies. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who respect you creatively, who want to work with you. Once you find that group, um, this career becomes a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself, like, working with the same people um, as you do, like, different projects? Like, have you, when you talk about that group that you find, have you found that? Yeah, no, I wish I did. I I wish I did. But what, what it ends up being more is having my group of friends who I trust so much that I could call them other people. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of times if I'm putting together a cast or a crew, I will talk to other showrunners who are like me and be like, can they work for a woman? Can they work? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The problem is for people who've been working 40 years in the industry and taking orders from men, taking orders from a woman can sometimes be really weird for them. Mm-hmm. And you have to sort of, you know, know where you, you know, know who, who you should hire and know who might be an issue. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, that's awesome. And I definitely, I think it's also so cool how you're able to reach out to other showrunners and like have their feedback as well. Oh yeah, no, we have a group of. It's funny. We um, there's a bunch of us who all came up through the same place, and we all had this one. There was one writers' room that was notoriously evil, and fired everyone, and it really was like we got together because we were all traumatized by that experience. <laughs> but now we're all showrunners and we are so like honest with each other about the people you can trust and the people you can't. And also the people who you can trust in that, until the shit goes down. You know, this person's fine. Unless the shit goes down, then they'll save themselves. This person never trusts them. This person trusts them with your life. Like, it's just interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You know. I mean, I'm not a streamer. I just mm-hmm. don't stream. Some show and it's a streamer. I can't work with screamers. I know yeah. that about myself. Because they scream, I shut down. I'm working on it in therapy, but it hasn't cracked yet. So mm-hmm. I don't work with streamers. And I'm, I'm willing to say to people, look, I just don't think we'll work together well. And it's not that you're not super talented. It's just our style won't be compatible. And I think yeah. that's important to recognize as well. It's not even always about good or bad. It's just about who works well with who. Well, Monica, you shared such amazing advice with me, with the listeners. I'm so excited for everyone to hear this. Thank you so much for being on my show. Oh, this has been the best time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Monica Green, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. It was such a joy having Monica on the show today. Everyone, be sure to check out all of Monica Breen's outstanding upcoming projects, from the new Buffy the Vampire Slayer reboot to the Freeform pilot and everything in between.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Dom's Club. Follow me and the rest of Dom's Club at DominiqueMobley.com, Dom underscore Mobley on Instagram and Twitter, and Dominique Mobley, no spaces between the Dominique and Mobley, on YouTube. See you next time at Dom's Club, and until then, enjoy life.